Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comic Bureau Field Report. The Comic Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's what I, on your favorite podcast platform, read Believe in the Comic Bureau Field Report. And yes, that is spelled Believe, B-L-E-A-V. Um... Episode 177. Um, I, I don't know if I can believe anymore. Uh, because I am done with misspellings. Um, I like how tired you sound. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I make. You know, I make, he, you know once again. Because <laughs> I've made fun of it for 177 episodes, Derek. And it's like. You know, I've got meta with it. I mean, like, you know, you're you're running like this little tangent is fun and makes it different, but you know, you're really running out of ways to make fun of a network, including their name in your podcast title name. But enough of that, Mishigas, and on to this week's lovely, lovely, amazing guest, uh, comedian, poet, rock on tour, uh uh, Rantanur, maybe? It's a, a fancy word for adventurer? <laughs> I think so. Ranting noodle? Uh, Rantanur is what I said. I don't even know that word. Mm, word a day calendar. Uh, I have a, uh, no, it's not even a calendar. I just get an email with a new vocabulary word every day. So that's how that happens. Um, anyhow, love having this person on the pod. Please get up for Derek Brown, everybody. I hear it. He hears it. He hears it. How you doing, Derek? I feel sunburnt and great. Sunburnt and great. What? How does how does the sunburnt factor into the great part? I have been playing comedy softball on Sundays with a bunch of comedians. Oh, I've heard rumor of this happening. It's a great way to get some sunshine and kick ass. Mm-hmm. You uh, you kick ass at, uh, at softball? Yeah, it's kind of like if you get Nick Harris on your team, you're probably going to win. <laughs> Nick Harris, uh, rising star comedy manager. Is Nick your manager? No, he said uh, specifically never ask him, which I think <laughs> is a sign of respect, really. <laughs> Cool, 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 cool. Um, so you you feel a sense of accomplishment with that sunburn, maybe a farmer's tan a little bit. I think it's from the road trip to go up to Pickathon and come back down and camped along the way, and it was it was so so wonderful. Right. It was going up or down the three ninety five back by the Eastern Sierras is so gorgeous. I love it. So. For those who have no idea what Derek just said, <laughs> please tell them about the festival you just played and the very on-brand Derek Brown way in which you got there. Oh, so I was asked to perform at a festival called Pickathon, which is a festival out in the woods of East, well, Eastern Portland, uh, Oregon, in Happy Valley, I believe. 
-hmm. and they rent this forest and set up a huge festival of thousands of people camping in the woods and then all the stages and lights and food vendors are all in the woods and they have these really cool um bars everywhere and once you're a performer all your food and drink is free and it was such a good show to perform at and it was just good spirit i i mentioned that i lost my belt on my trip and someone traded me a book for a belt it was very old-timey and cool <laughs> one of your books yeah. yeah your latest book of poetry mm -hmm. which is called what love ends in a tandem kayak yeah what a great great title i had the fortunate luck of seeing derek perform some of it live with i guess what could be described as a makeshift kayak out of boxes yeah 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 and then i think it turned into a gondola <laughs> it definitely turned into a gondola and uh how did that happen mostly a hat What's that? You you had a like a gondolieri hat and you put that on. Oh, I had the shirt, the sash. Yeah, 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 yeah. and the uh, and then the music, of course. Brought up some people on stage. Yeah, it's very yeah. Fun. Uh, how do you how do you identify these days in terms of a uh, profession? Comedian first. On the website, it says comedy and poetry of Derek Brown. So comedy is just the word that comes first. Right. I'm doing more comedy shows mm -hmm. than poetry shows. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Right. But for those uh, who are unfortunately unacquainted with you, give them a like, quick breakdown in terms of how you came, I guess, to this point in, in comedy. Yeah, kind of a weird road where I never knew anything about poetry. I got out of the army and a friend of mine named Eugenie said, hey, come check out this open mic. And I was like, what is that? She says, well, we hang out at a coffee shop at night and people get on stage and they share work, whether it's a song or a poem, you should share something. And I was like, what? I just got out of the army. And I was like, why would anyone share anything? <laughs> what is the money involved? Like, no money, it's art. Yeah. I was like, I don't get any of this. Why are you drinking coffee at night? This is the dumbest, weirdest thing. You get coffee at Winchell's, you get it at McDonald's or Denny's and that's it. And um, this is 93, 94. Where were you? That, uh, I was in, um, the first venue I went to was called Watson, I presume, in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. Then I went to Jams in Huntington Beach. And then I went to the World's, World Stage up in Lamert, And then oh, yeah. Cafe in Long Beach. Right. Uh, there were so many venues popping up. I right. kind of got hooked on it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, fast forward about, 14 years later of just doing poetry. Mm -hmm. David Cross came and saw me with his girlfriend, Amber, who I know. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, I didn't like anything I saw. I actually didn't know if I could date Amber because poetry was so grating on my nerves, but that, <laughs> that was fun and I liked it. You should do my comedy stage at All Tomorrow's Parties. And that was 2009 and that was with Animal Collective and Nick Cave and the Dirty Three and Flaming Lips, and and then I got to jump on there with John Benjamin and John Glazer, and it was, I met Eugene Merman, and it was so fun. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna try and do this, but I'm gonna call it comedy. And they're like, no, no, say you do poetry. Don't make it a surprise. You'll be the unique thing on the bill. Just don't do too much. <laughs> They'd be like, 
in a 10 minute sit, set, do maybe one poem. And I said, okay, cool. Uh, and so I've just been doing that for a while. Right. That's a, that's amazing. <laughs> they told you to call it poetry and then don't, don't do too much. much. Yeah. What do you, what did you interpret as too much from David Cross? Uh, well, I think I had a 20, 25 minute set. Mm -hmm. So I think I did, you know, off of 25 minutes set, I probably did 10 minutes of poetry. Okay. Uh, and that, well, I guess that's not one poem. And I, and I sprinkled it throughout. Yeah. One poem might've been like 15 seconds. Right. Another poem might've been two minutes right. and I'd sprinkle it. And then I close with a, a poem that's not funny. And it was, it was great. And they had like good lighting and I never had that. I had the Navy gravy, my buddies from Oklahoma with me and New York. And it was really, it was up in the Catskills mm -hmm. and, uh, it was it was a pivotal moment for me where I was like, all right, I'm just going to go to war and try and beg comedy clubs to put me up um, and see if they like it. We'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I, this has always kind of been a curiosity about you, Derek, that I've had is that when you started out in poetry, like you, you fell into it, like what? Do you have an intention or part of your process in writing poems like, well, I want to be funny. I want to get laughs. Um, no, but I will write a poem and then be confused about it and realize that I held something too precious. Mm. Uh, and then I'll rewrite it. Uh, maybe the opposite way of like the thing that I loved. I hate that. I hate being touched or uh, <laughs> I'll, um take a concept, which is, I don't understand modern dating, and then I'll throw a theme or a concept on it, like from the perspective of a couch or something, and then I'll make turn that into a poem so that there are similes and metaphors, so it's not prose. I'm not making fun of poetry. I'm not doing slam or spoken word. No. It's really a poem, but uh, I will usually never start with an idea of trying to make something funny. Um, and then it'll tell me if it's funny and I'll be like, all right, these will be heavy poems I do at a poetry show, but this one's kind of turned out funny. I'll do that at a comedy show. Right. But that's what's fascinating. I mean, you say that you don't do slam spoken word, which I guess is such its own thing and it's, it has such an established cadence and delivery style and it feels so self-serious. Um, like, you know, I haven't, I mean, I started out <laughs> oddly doing poetry at open mics in Long Beach. I think we talked about this. Um, and what struck me is that, like, I always did a conversational kind of like you. And uh, but I don't really see anybody who does poetry do that. They either do it kind of in that spoken word style or they are reading and that's its own thing. Yeah, I think it's I think people are realizing that a poetry show will just be full of poets if everyone keeps doing annoying poetry voice. Yeah. And if a curator is like, I'm gonna choose some people who deliver their work like they're talking to you at a bar. Yeah. That's what an audience wants. They'll deal with and they'll clap with slam voice. Is a choice, is a voice inside that choice. You know, if they're right. like doing that, like, all right, um, it's fine. You know, but <laughs> no one's coming back, you know. Right, right, right. 
unless they're poets and they're yeah. like, I'm gonna get on stage, so I'm just gonna come back and be a good audience member. Um, yeah, so I think, I don't know, the new generation's much smarter and more savvy and they're like, hey, this this feels like bad acting. Let's let's clean it up a little bit and add some subtlety and nuance. Right, right. What, do you remember the first laugh you got as a poet? <laughs> yes, um, I would do a thing where if the poetry show was serious, when I got up there at an open mic, I would do a super dumb poem. Yeah. And um, I remember hearing that U2 song, like a king needs a dream, I need you. It was like off a rattle or something like that. And I was, right. didn't have a great musical taste back then, not very broad. Um, and I was like, I'm gonna write a mock poem about this where I would say, um, like a king needs a queen, like a burrito needs a bean, I need you. And I'd do it very serious and then no one would laugh. And then, um, and I'd go like a plumber needs a wrench, like his butt needs a wrench, <laughs> I need you. A couple chuckles. And then I would do goofier and goofier lines and people would be like, oh, I guess it's okay to laugh at these things. <laughs> but I'd do it like I didn't know they were funny, like I was trying and it, that was a fun Right, right. Um, did it, and getting that first laugh that inspired you to kind of follow that path a little bit more. Well, there were like poetry shows that were goofy too, where like people would strip naked and just scream about the president. Uh -huh. and in Long Beach, in Long, well, that was more at jams. Jams had a really rowdy show. Right. I forget what that show was called. Somebody knows what it's called, right. but um, that show was. A lot of Wiccan people, cool. A lot of goth people, yeah. A lot of people figuring out what counterculture meant and like punk, and that, that was like they bought their first punk jacket, put the first patches on it, and then they go to that show and try and read something about anarchy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was an exciting time for a dude who got out of the army that was all about organization and mm -hmm. patriotism, and I was like my eyes opening to this new world. And I was like, I like this. Um, this <laughs> um, Wait, do, do, I, I, that's always the thing I've wondered too, is did you have a sense of disillusionment when you left the army or like, what was your journey in the army like really briefly? When I went in super Republican, mm -hmm. like more like a guy who kind of like church, but I was an open-minded person. I didn't know art. I only know like three neat bands. Mm -hmm. um, I was more into magic than books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wait, like Wiccan magic or just like sleight of hand? Illusion. Uh -huh. um, so I, uh, I knew of my nerdiness and I just wasn't exposed to a lot. And then I went in the army and came out, you know, agnostic, uh, more questioning of the government uh -huh. and a little more rebellious about just blind belief once i yeah. saw the skirt pulled back the, the the curtain pulled back the skirt pulled back the curtain pulled back a little bit on like how things work how things are funded and right. and also the, that time in the military you'd spend a lot of time in a foxhole talking with people from like jamaica or grew up in africa or vietnam or panama and you mm -hmm learn a lot of stuff and mm -hmm. you're like oh my little long beach bubble is a tiny tiny world yeah. and then you come out with new belief system and then you 
get really interested in art and you let that art fuck up your life for the rest of your life <laughs> until you get addicted to it. Sure. Were you deployed somewhere? No, I was in during the Gulf War, but I went in while the war was happening uh, in 91. Right. So I got out as everyone was, I got out of a paratrooper school as everyone was coming home. Oh, okay. And well, so you, you were, where was, you say you're in a foxhole talking to people. Where was that at? Yeah, that was in Arkansas and North Carolina and Oklahoma. Right. You do these mock war exercises with your yeah. the 82nd during those times. Yeah, my dad, he retired as a, well, he would never say this, but he retired as a lieutenant colonel, um, but he would only say major. He got to do like officer level war games. Um, and I, I would only hear wind of it because uh, it means he wouldn't be home for a few weeks. All of the mock war exercises are against Russia. It's yeah. never anyone else. It's always our big fear has been uh -huh. Russia. I wonder if it's China now. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's Russia. Still Russia, even though, man, they, uh, they're really coming up short in this war. They're fucking chunking it right now. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, I remember when it happens, people were like, I don't know, two weeks, we give Ukraine two weeks before they're overrun. And then we're well over a year and Ukraine has launched a counteroffensive. Yeah, I hope Putin eats shit really hard and Navalny gets in. Yeah. And, you know, it gets to give him a real talking to. Yeah. Or punches in the nuts. <laughs> yeah. And then we we all watch that. I mean, you know, that that's where it almost feels like political theater and revolution come into one. We see Alexei Navalny punch Putin in the balls before giving a speech and he dies from it that'd be so awesome yeah that would be really really awesome uh was there a tipping point for you like going more towards comedy uh, versus poetry like being a poet on a comedy stage for years and years and years since what you said 2009 that's when i started to do comedy gigs and stuff it's yeah. kind of a weird number to say. Some people be like, how come you aren't more advanced in your career by now? Well, uh -huh. the answer is I'm trying to do a weird thing. <laughs> it's yeah. not the fastest path to success. Sure. Uh, but yeah, long time on. ago. Yeah. 2009 feels like a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, because it is a long time ago. <laughs> it's uh, 24 years. Or no, I mean, 14 years? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when I I think we had a conversation maybe a year or two ago about like, I think, wait, over a quarantine is where you found more of your footing as a comedian? No, I think um, I, I just, no, no one was doing shows. And those right. Zoom shows were nightmarish. Right. Um, there was no Zoom poetry shows? There were, and they were terrible. And I, I did, I launched some, and it was just, you know, you long for human touch, you know, and, right. and the sound of um, people giggling in a room. Mm -hmm. um, but 
yeah, no, I just like everybody stopped doing live shows, of course, during that time, and then couldn't wait to get back out and do more shows and tours afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, what a so you just came out with this book of poetry. Uh, Love is a tandem kayak. Am I remembering that correctly? In a tandem kayak. Yeah. That's right. The book just came out, and it was the pick of the month last week for the Washington Post, which is cool. Damn. Damn congrats. My comedy album comes out next month. Big banner year for Derek Brown. This has been a tasty one. This has been a yeah. good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a- It's uh... cool. It's a hard for me to get gigs in LA, but like I'm... New York is, New York or Portland's a piece of cake. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Have you, you probably know this. Best way to get gigs is like be from out of town. True. <laughs> yeah, I'm only here for one weekend. And like, oh, 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 okay. Well, we'll see what we could do. But if you're readily available, it's a lot of supply and demand, you know? Yeah, there's plenty of comics here. <laughs> and you you live here. Yeah. Uh, I'll get you next year. Mm-hmm. I'll get you next year. Do you feel like there's a, like, both works like the book and the album uh are there separate thing or is there overlap uh, i mean overlap for sure so i took some poems from the new book and i performed them during my hour special so um i figured out a fun way to sprinkle things in and have a, like a old-timey show pianist behind me amanda rafkin who was yeah, yeah. really made it feel like vaudeville and it was, it was and so magical fun. i would say yeah, it felt it felt special to, you know, if you are feeling like you want a soundtrack behind a, a, a written piece or a poem, it's so cool to have that. Also, she'd she'd fart around and do punches on the keys if ever she thought a joke was lame. And uh, <laughs> actually, hear some of the final vinyl cuts today. Really, wow. That's got to be exciting. That comes out in November. Uh, are you doing anything for special for the vinyl release? Yeah, so LA, November, Boston, and New York in October mm-hmm. for the releases. Sweet. Uh, are you have it on some fancy colored vinyl, or is it just going to be classic? Great question. It's green acrylic clear vinyl. Ooh, love that. Love Coke that. bottle green, yeah. Coke bottle green. Oh, I'm picturing, yeah, I'm picturing that now. Any reason you pick that color? Coke bottle green. Yeah, so I'm doing an homage to Herb Alpert's Whipped Cream and Other Delights because mm-hmm. uh, my album's called A Close Shave with Heaven where I'm covered in shaving cream. Mm-hmm. And I know other comedians have done it with spaghetti or clams, right. but I just... I like writing to Herb Alpert, so it was fun to do a little tribute. How fun writing to Herb Alpert! Yeah, that's a good. That's a that's a good good choice. It it depends on what the mood strikes me as to what I'm writing to, but um, now that makes me wonder how many comedians do you think write in total silence? I bet you most do what like. All the comedians I know, which is write down a thing in your phone when you're driving or eating, 
right. and then go to your computer and flush it out and then try it out on stage. I bet you no, no one, almost no one sits at a computer like I do and fucks with a poem or something and then fucks with a comedy set while music's playing. Like, um, I, I prefer it just for right. um, settling the subconscious. Sure. I technically do both. So I do the former for most of my comedy and I don't even <laughs> sit down on a computer later to watch it. I just like, will look at my notes before state go on stage. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that was a thing that like irked me. Let's talk that out. Let's see if that's going, going anywhere. But for longer pieces, like, or, you know, articles that I'll write for the times or anything like that, I'll usually, um, have music playing and it usually will be a song on repeat so for the same oh. purpose of settling the subconscious it gets like a rhythm you know mm -hmm. and it like settles my brain in a way where i <laughs> i can think more clearly that's cool yeah cool to figure out what your um routine is mm -hmm. absolutely uh that's really exciting that you got a book and an album coming out in the same year and one of them is not a memoir i feel like that's you're an esteemed class no memoirs for me yet not <laughs> yeah not yet well i mean i think you've lived a life that's deserving of a memoir jeez pretty weird life but i uh, haven't done the next level which is like i've written for film i've never been in a film i've never done an hour special on film mm -hmm. i feel like if I get to a level where like I can sell out a place, right. I got something to talk about where like, man, that was hard to get there. I'm still right. not at that level. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's always going to be a subjective thing. Cause I feel like even beyond trying to get laughs, I think what you capture really well is mo like having like truly sort of magical moments with the audience, whether it's through, being very vulnerable in a silly context or being very silly in a raw context. Um, like people, I don't know, every time I've seen you on stage, especially when you did your book release party, it there was like a undeniable sort of charm and magic to it um, that I don't get from normally just watching stand-up or poetry for that matter. Thank you, man. Like, yeah, I love like maybe my love of magic, like the broom floating when I let go of it or whatever. All that stuff's <laughs> silly and really fun and right. singing to people in a boat. And I love like sometimes you see a movie and you're like, uh, you feel wonder or something. Mm -hmm. And if I can figure out a way to make comedy and poetry spark that a little it's it just is more fun for me and i think it's more fun for the audience too yeah uh do you ever look back at um your times like going into the army and think like damn i've come so far as a human being oh yeah i i have a bit about where i wanted to be a Christian a magician that got so good. I go to Las Vegas where all the sinners are. Uh, and then I use illusion to share the truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and and then going in the army and coming out and be like nope none of that felt real um man i if i wouldn't have met a more diverse group of people i would have been probably locked in that world um and i feel grateful that like a bunch of artists were like well, why don't you expand your mind a little bit okay cool oh my god this feels honest this feels truer than any religious text i've ever read so i'm gonna go with this truth right and uh and that was i'm such a different person such, i am so yeah anyone dated me. <laughs> i guess nobody <laughs> did i didn't have a girlfriend until i was 27 holy shit really you just like jumped into the army out of high school i hooked up with some people in the army out of high school yeah and mm -hmm. um i didn't really hook up in uh, in high school and then uh, went on a couple dates, and then when I was 27, my I, I got a girlfriend, and she was like, "Yeah, let's just have fun. Stop trying to get married." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're in your 20s. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, but I've got my life planned out. I'm gonna be married by 24, house by 26, firefighter during the whole thing. No, none of that shit happened. <laughs> no. No, I mean that it's almost like it should be a high school gu guidance counselor's job to be like, okay, I understand you have these like plans and these dreams. Just don't be disappointed if none of it really goes the way you want. You know who's doing a cool combination of art forms? I don't do poetry and comedy, but do you know Rob Zabrecki? I do know Rob Zabrecki. <laughs> the way he does like storytelling comedy and magic i love that so much i'm gonna do a show with him november 10th yeah at the um prs some sort of research society in los Feliz. oh okay philosophical research society right 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 i think i just got that email cool for those who haven't seen rob rob is uh he he's like <laughs> i would say otherworldly magician but he's like He's a magician doing sort of like, you know, in a way, traditional illusions. But um, he has just like an otherworldly vibe about him. And he used to be in Possum Dixon. So he like knows that sort of punk, crazy world drug. And he's like, oh, I need to not live this way. Right. And cleaned up his life and just devoted to art. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, being perhaps a little too broad here but if you love anything old-timey you'll love rob yeah he's he, he is from the 30s <laughs> yeah him and ron lynch are from the 1930s uh what do you um what do you hope to do in the years to come like um if if everything no nah, i don't want to say everything goes according to plan that would to undermine the point we just made but yeah what do you hope to do fun question i want to take the same path as either david sedaris or jacqueline novak right. and um, i want to take the concept of this show with the boat that you saw hints of at the book release party and then tour around big theaters doing that almost like Mike Birbiglia's storytelling comedy. Yeah. But Jacqueline Novak's um, 
I like her writing so much. Um, oh yeah. So so pumped that she, I think she's been doing that for three years, one show. Get, I, get I, I think longer because I remember she, er, seeing her work on it at the like older iterations of Lyric Hyperion in like 2018 or something. Oh yeah. And then the then COVID kind of messed up what was going to be a touring schedule. And then she's just been doing it for the last few years and mm -hmm. uh, culminating in a taping at town hall, I think like a month or two ago. But I saw it probably like three different times, like in its workshop stages. And then I saw it twice at Largo. Um, and it always amazed me how much joy she still had throughout each performance of it and like <laughs> i mean the i think so much of the humor comes from how poetic she is about blowjobs yeah yeah that's i saw her workshop in it too and uh i just felt like and she pulled it off she figured out a way to make her stand up a a real show you know what i mean like um pushing the audience boundary a bit i like that so much but pushing it differently not pushing it in a way it's like oh you you guys ready for more material about 9 11 or something yeah yeah not not like oh you're edgy yeah but you're like oh this is interesting this is a has a good a lot of good threads in it mm -hmm. and yeah it goes from engaging and enthralling to like oh that's that's sort of undeniably funny uh with david okay so in, in the david sedaris route you would want to write a book every year and tour theaters as a humorist yeah so i would figure out which pieces worked well out loud and then i would just share those pieces um the problem is is that i'm writing everything as poems which aren't doesn't sell as hot right. and then if i do a big shift like say that this record takes off and someone's like, hey, let's let's instead of writing all these poems, uh, these these concepts as poems, write them as little short stories. Great. Here comes the new path. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Um, do you think somebody like Rupi Kaur could possibly uh, open the gates for you doing that a little more, like doing? poetry live on a big stage well they're they're very unfunny um, uh, yeah yes they are <laughs> um i think they're a great gateway drug where like someone's like hey i own two books that i bought at urban outfitters i'll <laughs> check out this guy's book too right um, so that's that could be a good gateway drug when you're like all right this satisfied a a, a desire for an emotional inner life but now I kind of want to, I want to go a little deeper. These were kind of uh, insanely accessible pieces. Uh, I think that's also being nice. Yeah, I'm being very nice. It's not my <laughs> cup of tea. Yeah. But, uh, it's not a lot of writers' cup of tea, but it's a lot of people who are, don't like poetry. They're like, well, I can understand this, so I like it. And I'm like, there's a lot of good writers that are accessible yeah. that go a little bit further and dig a little harder. Mm -hmm. And I also heard that a lot of her stuff was lifted from another writer. So I don't get into her stuff. I don't know what her new stuff's like. Nice. It's just also fascinating that her stuff is 
huge and yeah that's, that's the just... re yeah in a way that i don't think poetry has been received ever i think <laughs> I'm glad you said that uh, there's more, there's like plenty of writers that are accessible that also go more than just a nanometer deep in terms of emotional uh, depth. Um, do you, can you name a few for anyone who's interested? Oh yeah, Jeffrey McDaniel. Um... Uh, Anne Sexton, um, yeah. Courtney LeBlanc, uh, Andrew Gibson, Clint Smith, uh, right. um, God, uh, Brendan Constantine. Right. There's so many people who are just Marie Howe, um, Kim Adonisio. Right. So many people that just crack me open. And uh, my buddy Jeremy Radin has a instagram where he shares the best stuff he can find mm -hmm. let's see what that is um it's called something fun i yeah i'm glad you named those because uh i feel like there's this perception that there's like a high barrier of entry with poetry like intellectually which is why rupee is kind of appealing for some people but um yeah i mean they're it's not all T.S. Eliot or Carl Sandburg. Right. He is Jeremy Radin, G-E-R-M-Y, mm -hmm. like full of germs, R-A-D-I-N. Mm -hmm. He just posts rad shit he finds all the time. Cool. Very cool, man. Um, do you want to do some comedy news, Derek? Let's do it! Let's do it. Okay, first news item off the bat. Uh, posthumously, after uh, decades of being referred to as a comedy legend, Andy Kaufman is going to get a Hollywood star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, which is, I, I wonder, would Andy even want one? I don't think the dead want anything. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't think the dead want anything either. <laughs> This is someone's pet project. Uh, -huh. uh Who is going to get the boner out of this? Who's pitching this star? I don't know, but it is interesting that Kristen Shaw and Kevin Nealon will be guest speakers next Thursday, August 24th, uh, at 1130 a.m. Um, to crown the, what does this say here? The 2,761st star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. If he went, he'd ruin it somehow. Yeah, and that, fair. yeah, and that would be his legacy: is him ruining his own star ceremony. <laughs> or he'd have the Marilyn Monroe impersonator go take the award, right? And they'd be like, "Oh, he didn't show up! Like, oh no, is that him in the costume? Oh no, he just really hired 
the Marilyn Monroe person to go get the award. Yeah. The, the, I feel like it's, it's not going to be as cool as he would have made it. Right. It would truly be a shame if somebody didn't show up as Tony Clifton to like kind of cause a ruckus. Like that is what yeah. it deserves, you know? If there's a Tony Clifton movie, <laughs> that would be a great, this would be a great promotional stunt. <laughs> Hissing on it or something. Maybe that's in the works. Yeah, maybe yeah, it's going to be Tony like I hope on it. Ronaller is dressed as Tony Clifton and sends uh, everyone home. <laughs> I wouldn't like, if Kristen's involved. Yeah, if Kristen's involved, I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, that would be that would I'm sure they talk about it. If if they're like, "Hey, just go up and say what he meant to you." Ugh, lame, boring. Uh-huh um what uh i mean how, what are your feelings on the hollywood walk of fame i think it's really cool to it's strange that people fly in to see it right and i love it when other towns do their walk of fame uh -huh. and it'll be like greg smith little league player of the year 1986 right. right i think every city should have one i think right. that's very I, I do find it quite odd that like that is one of a, it's a tourist destination and people like go make it part of their vacation to take a picture of a star shaped piece of concrete. It, it, there's something ghost obsessed about being like, whoa, um, uh, uh, Ernest Borg or Cary Grant stood here at one point and now I'm standing here. Right. You know, and he's dead and I'm still here. This is so neat. Right. But to be like, at one point, this person I appreciate did stand here. Right. I mean, uh, even bars in downtown LA would be like, Charles Bukowski pissed here or whatever. Right. right. I think, I think we love having, you know, heroes and figure out where they once stood around. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't pay a thousand dollars to take a vacation to go see um where steve martin had a sandwich right no me either although that feels like a very steve martin thing to do <laughs> i'd pay a thousand dollars to watch him eat a sandwich sure <laughs> i, I sh i'm sure steve has figured out the funniest way to eat a sandwich yes if you and could... i actually get a tiny sandwich Yes. One bite, and then he'd be out of there. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it, it would be tiny, and yet one of the most complicated sandwiches ever. Yes. And he maybe it had something that he's allergic to, and uh -huh. then he would just roll on the floor for like 20 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> After like, it, you know, it would be like a five-course meal leading up to the tiniest sandwich. I'm like, this is worth it. <laughs> Um, yeah, if, if you're listening to this and you don't know, I mean, Steve Martin, uh, did read the phone book on stage and did kill. Steve Martin also used to work at Knott's Berry Farm at the Birdcage Theater, and he also did magic in his teens, mm -hmm. but he did it at Disneyland and I did Knott's Berry Farm. Was that when, is that something that you saw as a kid and you're like, I, oh, I want to do that. Like I saw Steve Martin do magic and I, well, I loved Steve Martin. So when I heard he did magic at an amusement park. I tried Disneyland, but they were packed. And then when I found out the magic shop 
was open, I was so thrilled and then right. so disillusioned. Right. Disillusioned one year later. Unintended. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I hope that that is the thing that catches on that people intend their puns. Just, yeah. for, just for clarity. Uh, did you know that you actually, so it, it has to be somebody's pet project because to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, you have to apply, which is crazy. And then in part of, part of the application is a fee of like 20, I think it's like $30,000. Yeah, like an agency might pay for that or something, right? Right, right. Uh, or the, I guess the estate, or if you're, if, you know, the actual celebrity, uh, let's say like Shakira, I think Shakira probably has a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Like she'll pay it. I hope it's misspelled. <laughs> I, I do too. I do too. Um, yeah, Andy Kaufman misspelled. That would that would be kind of perfect. Do you think? Uh, would you? How would you feel about getting a star like on the Walk of Fame if your career got to such a point? If I, I'd well, it'd be very funny to have one now before I've been in any films or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So, it, it, let's say like twenty years down the road, and yeah, you've like been in a bunch of movies. You've been lauded for your poetry and your comedy. You have specials out. It would be awesome if it's like, who's Jerry Mankiewicz? Oh, he's a realtor. Oh, anyone <laughs> can pay $30,000 to get one of these things. Well, you uh, get to, no, you pay $30,000 to apply. And I'm assuming because of the application, you can be denied. That's true. Yeah. Uh, maybe so. I don't know. But I'd be honored. I think it'd be fun. I'd make it fun. I'd love to see a, a compilation of people who made their Walk of Fame a little unique, you know? Sure. Uh well they had to move Trumps uh because people kept destroying it. Yeah. And I think, I think the... Bob Odenkirk got one and then mm -hmm. David told a very funny speech. Yeah. David Crawford. Yeah. Uh yeah, I think that happened recently, actually. Uh I think they also had to keep moving Bill Cosby star. I don't think they got rid of it, unfortunately. I think they moved it out of jail, actually. To... Yeah. Hey, uh... <laughs> well third i hope he goes back to jail yeah seriously 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 uh, maybe him and trump can share a cell uh okay i think we'll end with this story here i'm not going to go through all i'm actually not going to go through very many of them but um pitchfork um they made a list of the 25 funniest rappers of all time um, which includes Biz Marquis, Cardi B, Cool Keith, um, Danny Brown, amongst a few names. Notably, T.I. is not on this list, who's tried to be a stand-up over the last year, and he is bad at it. Is Lil Wayne on there? Lil Wayne is indeed on there, yes. Um, what, uh, I mean, you, you can peruse the list if you want at that link on there, but um, who do you think are the funniest rappers, Derek? DJ Quick. Mm -hmm. Too Short. Uh, uh, both not on there, but both agree. Eminem's very funny. Eminem uh, the, the is also not on there. Let me see here. Let me go to that link real quick. Yeah. 
Boom. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, M&M is very much not on there. There's uh, uh, the boys aren't on there. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad uh, fucking Digital Underground's on there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think Danny Brown's that funny. He's got yeah. a, a, some cool songs. Sure. But are they like crazy funny? I don't think so. Uh, I, I think he, he's outlandish for sure. Who sings Put It In My Mouth? That song's hilarious. I don't know. Is that Akon? No, I don't know. There, There's an LA-based duo. They're no longer together. People Under the Stairs are really funny. Uh, Lil Wayne has real G's creep in silence like lasagna. There's not going to be a better line than that. Mm-hmm. I'm the hardest shit. Go in your ass and search. He also he he took he made a he made a rap song out of the Oompa Loompa song, which I think is actually very right. Ludacris is really good. I'm glad Ludacris is on there. Uh -huh. Also, I like um, the guy DJ Eagle or something like that. Oh, Open Mike Eagle. Open Mike Eagle. Oh, Open Mike Eagle is very funny. I mean, he's like he's like kind of like a comedian rapper, basically. Yeah, Shock yeah. G, let Shock G's on there. Uh, uh, I'm sad that Killer Mike and LP of Run the Jewels are not on there together. Sure should be on there. Yeah. It's so weird that they're not. Yeah. I mean, that's why Someone's it looks like those are. Be on there too. What was that? Someone's got to be on, from Dr. Demento and be on there that yeah. didn't make it. Right, right. Not just Weird Al. No, no, Dr. Joe. That that would. I feel like there was there was a weird amalgam of like, like deep cuts to edit, to see like some credibility for the list, but then a lot of placating like big time name rappers. You're right. So someone's uh, coming in my back door. I just noticed it's an Amazon delivery person, which is great. Oh, cool. Would you would you order? Uh, this is going to be very exciting. A new hose for my hiking water backpack. Oh, fun! <laughs> it's a great story. Uh -huh. It's a great beginning. Well, you know, you might use it on another camping trip up, up into an outdoor music and comedy festival. If I go hiking right here in the Verdugos in Burbank, mm -hmm. need a lot of water. Yeah, you do, especially you know the heat wave we're having currently. Um, that's the that's the podcast, man. Thank you so much for joining me. I think we ended with a banger about my hose. Yeah, I I do too, and I hope it becomes the seed for a poem or a joke or one in the same uh, that we will hear in the not so distant future. I'm a little weirded out that Spring Hill Spider Party's song Skeletor is not on that funniest rap song of all time. Yeah. No, and that... I put it in my mouth and needs to get on there right away. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, that list, the only reason it's even being mentioned on this podcast is there's, there's a bunch of snubs and like, it's clearly incomplete. 
again. Yeah. Perhaps so they're, so they are saying 25 best of all time, but they, they kind of mailed that in. They didn't yeah. really go. Yeah. Funniest of all time. Come on, man. Um, Something tells me <laughs> if Kanye had become what he is now, he might have been on there. Yeah. Uh, he's in a different category now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very sad. Very, very sad. Uh, where can people find you online? Is there anything else you would like to promote, Derek? Yes. Uh, this uh, Thursday at 6.30, I'm in Long Beach at D Piazza's. And then um, I will be having my record come out September 14th called A Close Shave with Heaven on Sub Pop and Pretty Good Friends Records. Amazing. Uh, one of their one of their first releases, pretty good friends. They've already done a bunch. Oh, they like the fourth. Oh, the fourth. Well, that, I wouldn't say that's a that is technically a bunch, but if let's say they end up releasing thirty over a course of years, you're like one of the first. Solid correction. Solid <laughs> correction. <laughs> I'm good at that. I'm really good at that. Uh, and where can people find you online? Brownpoetry.com. Awesome. Uh, I am Jay Kruger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com, at the Comedy Bureau, across socials. You can find me on Instagram at the Supermarket, on Twitter at MFJ Kroger. Somebody gave me a Blue Sky promo code thing, and I still have yet to use it. So I. <laughs> it's no fun. Don't do it. Yeah? I keep hearing bad things. I just want to know the thing. Which is it? Mastodon? Is it threads? People people hate all of them. Boring, dude. It's boring. It's fudge. God damn it. I just don't want to like do four new ones, you know? You don't need it. Okay. Zero gains. Zero gains. All right. Noted. Well, just find me at those places because they're still active. Um, and I'd ask, uh, if you have money and generosity, please support, uh, a very great cause. Uh, people in Maui need your help. Uh, if you can, if you can spare that, but if you have, uh, any more after that, uh, please support the comedy bureau to keep it running. Uh, do you have anything to say as we sign up here? Yeah. You can catch my shows on Instagram at Derek Brown poetry. Amazing. Uh, live comedy is happening. Why don't you go check out DPS's? Their pizza is great, and it's one of Long Beach's longest standing venues. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in the cool part of Long Beach, uh, or one of the cool, there's several cool parts of Long Beach, actually. <laughs> it's all different than when I was there, but there's still a lot of cool parts of it. Uh, and it, as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Granillo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.